amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. It's time time for the Rip City Drive. The Rip City Drive with Travis Demers and Chad Dewing on your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. Well, Travis, I've got to ask you, come off your birthday... Your birthday yesterday, and you got to celebrate it with one of the all-time classics in the World Series. Some wild things in L.A. last night with the Dodgers and Astros. Yeah, that was one of the greatest World Series games, one of the greatest baseball games that I've ever seen. And just, it was so crazy because there were a ton of just weird things that don't ever happen. And for one of those to happen in a World Series game, you're like, huh, okay. But for all of them to happen in the same game from... The ball being thrown off of Laz Diaz's leg to Puig throwing a hissy fit in the right field corner after allowing a ground rule double to the ball bouncing off of Taylor's hat. Just all this crazy stuff. And then, oh, yeah, five home runs in extra innings. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So you got to tell me your your wife was going to surprise you with a birthday meal. You didn't know what it was. What'd she make you? Yeah, she made me this really good, like, Thai chicken with uh, po- uh, you know, Thai chicken and uh, noodles with some vegetables. It was really good. Are you big on Thai? Uh, not particularly, but this this dish I like a lot. It's one of my favorite dishes that she makes. And then we went and got ice cream. I paused the the World Series game, and we went and got ice cream. Where'd you go? Uh, this place. Uh, Is Han- it out in Sherwood? Yeah, this place. Uh, I'm not sure if it's pronounced Handles or Handels. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was awesome. Good. That man. place is fantastic. I, I thought about you last time. I was like, dang, Travis is celebrating his birthday and he loves baseball. And this game is just absolutely wild. Yeah. It was just a nice, relaxed night. We've got something going on tonight. Uh, but yeah, last night was just nice and relaxed, exactly what I want. All right. We got more on the World Series coming up at four. And also, Trav, he truly is one of the all time greats. You could probably make an argument he might be the best basketball player of all time. The one and only Oscar Robertson is going to join us on this show today I can't at wait. 417. Can't wait to talk to the big O today at, uh, in a little over an hour from now. The first man ever to average a triple-double in an NBA season. Unbelievable. The big O coming up at 417. The Blazers are going to be in action tonight. The Clippers are in town. One of my favorite teams, Glenn Rivers, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, with or without Chris Paul, I despise the Clippers, and I can't wait to see the Blazers drop the hammer tonight. I feel the same way, and Doc Rivers is the most overrated coach of this generation, maybe even of all time. Well, Trav, yesterday we talked about the Blazers winning ugly and and why that was a great storyline coming off that home opener against the Pelicans. But the really, the other exciting part about this year so far through four games has been the commitment to the defensive end of the floor. There's been a, there's just a different attitude with this team. Yep. We can all see it. You see it like we do, but it's coming with leadership. It's not just a matter of having Nurkic, a true center in there, but you're seeing different guys step up. But with any basketball team, there's always a captain. Here in Portland, it's Damian Lillard. Take a listen to this, and I want to see if you pick up on the same things that Travis and I did. This is Damian Lillard talking about this renewed focus on defense, but more importantly, what he has learned himself after the last couple of years about the defensive end of the floor. 
being a better team defensively more consistently is um, how we take that next step. And I know that, um, you know, the guys, I know they follow me. They follow my lead. Uh, when things aren't going well, I know they look to get me the ball and set screens and see if we can get it going. On the defensive end, they haven't been able to look to me as, as that guy. I just felt like it, it was time that I... Uh, stepped it up on that end of the floor and, and took the challenge of being a, a good defensive player. You know, I never felt, I always told you guys, I never felt like I was a bad defensive player. I just think it was certain sacrifices and certain things that I needed to to make in order to, to be better, more consistently on that end. And um, I came into camp and my mind was made up that uh, I was going to be more physical, I was going to be more active, or I was going to be more vocal and take more pride in it. And um, I think everybody else came with that same attitude. And, you know, we all pretty much agreed that if we were a better defensive team, that we could we could have a special year. Never had trouble scoring the ball. So that's pretty much what it's been, just wanting to, to take that next step. I get tired of hearing about, you know, well, he does this and this and that, but, you know, he doesn't play defense. And it matters. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty much what it is. Travis. At some point in summer. You know, I've got to talk to you about this. Um, with Damian Lillard. Last year, you and I talked about defense over and over and over again. And the reason why is because they were just awful on defense. It was yeah. a major problem, and we knew that they weren't going to be able to get to where we wanted them to be unless they started playing defense. And that's why the question came up, can you win a championship with Dame and CJ together in the backcourt? And I remember telling you on more than one occasion, I hope that the Blazers will go out and hire a defensive coach who can be the bad guy who can get up in Dame and CJ's craw and let them know how bad they are defensively. And the reason why, I thought they might be delusional when it came to understanding how poor on defense they were. I don't know whether this is self-discovery, if this is just Dame hearing what people say about his defense and taking the initiative to look at the film. I don't know if this is someone close to him communicating to him. Maybe it's Terry Stotts. Maybe it's the coaching staff. I don't know. But that's a guy right there that obviously is aware and now he's making an effort to improve on that end of the floor. And he's right, Trav. If he's out there paying a price defensively, what do you think everybody else on yeah. the team is going to do? Look, the, the first step in doing something better, whatever it is, you're, the first step in being more physically fit, the first step in overcoming an addiction, the first step of getting over something is recognizing that there is a problem. You can't fix something if you aren't aware that there is an issue somewhere. That's true. Damian Lillard, before this comment, right, or before this summer, before this season, whatever, and he mentioned it right there. How many times has he said to anybody who would listen, I'm not a bad defender. I'm not a bad defender. I am not a bad defender. You might not believe you're a bad defender, but everybody else does because we watch the game and we can see that you are a bad defender. And if you don't want to admit that to yourself, you are never going to be a better defender. He still won't admit that he's a bad defender. He still won't admit that, you know what, just haven't been very good with that. But he did finally say, I need to be better, and I need to take it upon myself to be better so the rest of my team is going to follow. Because if I just play my offensive game and I don't do anything else, then other players are going to see, you know what, if, if the best guy on our team doesn't have to worry about defense, maybe I don't either. And that's not exactly a professional way to look at it, but that's what he's saying is that, if he, who is the best offensive player on this team, says, I've got to be better defensively, the rest of the cast will follow. And he's absolutely right. Without defense, 
this team is not going to get any better. They're not going to be a top three, top four seed in the Western Conference. They're not going to consistently win a playoff series or two playoff series or have any chance of going anywhere beyond that because when your defense doesn't exist, you are capped out. You are capped out in the regular season. You are capped out in the postseason. And if you can get better defensively without adding anybody else and the players that you have now grow defensively, you're going to be better and you will attract other players to come play for you. Exactly. Think of it like this, Trav. You run the station. You're the program director. If you're telling people to be on time and show up to work on time, and yet you're late pretty much every day, people are not going to respect that. They're not going to no. listen to you. Here's the importance of Dame setting the tone defensively now. He, unlike anybody else on the roster, it's not Nurk, it's not CJ, nobody. He has the most powerful voice. And this is what I respect about Dame. It was the same last year when it came to the struggles. He was the same voice with the same demeanor through the good times and the bad. He was constant, which I respect. But now, because he is the leader, if he's over there busting his tail, getting to a pick and roll and playing defense, he can look to CJ, he can look to Nurk, he can look to anybody yeah. else on the roster and say, look, where are you at on that? He can hold people accountable because he's willing to pay the price now. This is a great sign. They're already improved defensively, and we know about the hustle plays and the toughness. This is setting the right tone for the Blazers moving forward. Yeah, it absolutely is. You have to be able to set that tone earlier in the season because this isn't something that you can do in December or January or February. You have to set this tone early. Teams don't change who they are midway through the season. This is something you have to get out in front of it early. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by the television pre- and post-game host for the L.A. Clippers and former Clipper himself, Corey Maggette, and we've got a chance for you to win Blazers Warriors tickets in the Bay. This is the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad, and you're home with the Blazers, Rip City Radio. The Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Do it! Do it! Do it till you're satisfied! The Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad on Rip City Radio. Chad, before we get to our next guest, we have an opportunity to send one of our Blazer listeners to the Bay Area. Right now, we have your chance to win a trip for you and a friend, if you have any friends, to see the Blazers at the Warriors on December 11th. When we call your name, you'll be entered into our drawing to win two tickets, hotel and airfare, thanks to our friends at Delta Airlines and Battery Exchange. Batteries for everything with 12 locations to serve you. All right. The next name is Jennifer Guyman, G-U-Y-M-O-N, Jennifer Guyman. You have 15 minutes to call 503 248- Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 0620 
You got 15 minutes to call 503-248-0620. We will call one more name today at 417. There is still time to sign up between now and next Friday over at ripcityradio.com. All right, our next guest played 14 years in the NBA, including eight years with the Los Angeles Clippers. You can now see him on Fox Sportsnet LA on the Clippers broadcasts, Corey Maggette. Corey, it's, it's great to talk to you. Obviously, this team with the Clippers is a little different than last year with Chris Paul being gone and a couple of other players moving on, but just how obvious the difference is there on the floor watching the flow of this team. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's definitely a totally different team not having Chris Paul on the floor. Uh, but what I've seen over, over this last week or so is that they are more, more defensive-oriented. And, and it starts with Patrick Beverly. Uh, he, he's like the junkyard dog on the defensive end. And he gets everyone else fired up on the floor. And you can see as well as Blake Griffin, it, it seems like this guy hasn't had an injury or surgery in the last few years. Uh, during the playoff time, but he's playing unbelievable basketball right now. How good is uh, DeAndre Jordan? He's leading the league in rebounds right now, but as a rim protector, what's it like when you see him play? Because he brings so much intensity to the middle part of their defense. Well, it's not what DJ does just from the rebound side, but DJ is an is a unbelievable athlete, being able to run the floor in transition. Uh, he's one of the best in the league that sets screens and rolls to the bag, basket properly. And most people think that's easy that he rolls to the basket and gets a dunk. But, you know, it's precision. Uh, it's timing. Uh, he does that extremely well. And now that you bring Patrick Beverly onto the scene, you have another guy um, that was part of, you know, first team and second team all defense in the NBA. Is DeAndre Jordan underappreciated in this league? You know what? I, I think so. I mean, I, I believe that he's one of the premier bigs in the league uh, at what he brings to the table. And, you know, one thing that is, is, is kind of his Achilles heel is, is his free throw shooting. And, and we've all seen it. Uh, if DJ can shoot over 60%, this guy would be a, you know, at least a 22 and 18 rebounder uh, in this league. Uh, and he's, he's not appreciated because of that. But with this team, I know the Clippers team, uh, appreciate what he does. Um, and not only that is being the anchor for them on a defensive end. Former Clipper, now television analyst, Corey McGetty here on the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Uh, Doc Rivers, um, his role changed during the offseason. He's not going to handle personnel anymore. He's going to focus just on coaching. How is he enjoying that, and has it relieved some of the pressure on him? Well, I don't know if he's enjoying it, uh, but it definitely relieves the pressure uh, of not having to uh, multitask uh, with handling the players, being a, being a coach on the floor, and also trying to be the coach to come to the team. Uh, I think for, for now, um, he has one job and that's to focus on, and coaching. And I think right now he's in a great place, and uh, he has his ball club playing basketball. Hey, Corey, what's your impressions on the Blazers so far? We're excited here in town because – we have a true center in Yusuf Nurkic, but now for the, at least the first four games, the guys have been committed to the defensive end. Well, yeah, I mean, just having Nurkic on the floor adds more value. And it was tough last year when he got injured. He wasn't able to kind of help the Portland Trailblazers get over the hump. But, again, just his activity on the floor. Uh, and, and, again, when you, when you have uh, the mindset going into the games that I'm going to start off on a defensive end because he is – you know, a capable scorer in this league. He's a great passer. Uh, he has a lot of flair to the game, and I love watching Nurkic play on the floor. 
and and having him as well as C.J. McCullough and, and Dame Lillard, you know, it just makes this team a complete unit if they continue to focus on a defensive end because they can score. I mean, when you have C.J. and Dame playing at a high level, you know, you need to focus on a defensive end because the offense will take care of itself. Corey McGetty is with us on the Rip City Drive. Corey, with this Clippers team, there is some, some, certainly some injury history with Blake Griffin, with Danilo Gallinari, even with Patrick Beverly. And while the season has started well at 3-0, and is there some cautious optimism considering the injury history of a good chunk of this team? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, you, when you think about over the last you know, three or four years, you can look at those guys' his, uh, injury report and a significant injury, significant time, um, that they wasn't with their team. That being said is you, you have to come in there with the mindset that you're not focused on those injuries. You focus on trying to be the best teammate. You focus on trying to be the best player. And you're focusing on trying to get your team over the hump. And as of right now, that's their focus. And I think, you know, Patrick Beverly, as well as Blake and, and Denno Gallinari, have worked extremely hard in this offseason to make sure that they can minimize those injuries. No one knows what would happen uh, later on in the year. But I know, of course, the coaching staff and the training staff have really been cautious on the way they handle Blake, as, as well as Blake basically listening and, you know, maybe not overtraining as much, setting himself up for those injuries. But as of right now, it's smooth sailing, and they're looking forward to, to have these guys the entire season. Hey, Corey, how do you look at the West this year? So many players coming over to the conference, a lot of players changing teams during the offseason, and it looks like you know, from one through eight, it's a very deep conference. Are there teams that can challenge the Warriors this year? You know what? I really believe so. I think um, we, we've seen so many faces change teams. And um, and in the beginning, I would say this, this first month is going to be about trying to build that chemistry. You see OKC adding more pieces with, with uh, Carmelo Anthony uh, and, and Paul George. And so that adds another dynamic where they can actually really can compete as far as on a personnel standpoint with the Golden State Warriors. But also you look at what Memphis has been doing. Memphis is playing tremendous basketball, but it leaves with their defense, but their offense is starting to pick up. So everyone right now is in a position to challenge the Warriors. But when the Warriors is playing at their peak, it's kind of hard to stop them because they're not just a typical offensive team that can score the ball. They thrive off their defense, and they have guys on the floor, and it starts with Draymond Green, the way he he can be this multi-guy that can play three different positions and guard multiple players. And then you have one of, you know, one of the top two guards in this league, and Clay Thompson, not only is one of the best three-point shooters, but also he's one of the best wing defenders. So, uh, again, defense is what leads this. If you have defense with your offense, you have a chance to compete with the Golden State Warriors. You mentioned the offseason, and I think it might have been the most entertaining offseason that I can ever remember in the NBA with all the player movement and all the, the big-name player movement. But because of that, yeah. is it how difficult is it actually to handicap the West past Golden State? Yeah, it is. I mean, when when you think about all the transactions that happened this season, you, you know, every team in the league, and let's get this straight, every team in the league is trying to find the formula to be Golden State, right? That's what everyone is doing. They're trying to bring pieces in. Uh, they're taking pieces out to put it in. Uh, but at the end of the day is the blueprint is no blueprint to beat Golden State. The only way you can do that is trying to get capable shooters around your team and, and thrive off the defense to even have a chance to compete with all these different transactions that happen this season. 
Hey, Corey, our producer, Eric, told us that you really like the city of Portland. Is that true? Oh, yes, man. I enjoy enjoy coming to Portland. Um, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed it. It was one of the, the top places that I enjoy coming to play in. The fans are great. Uh, I just love everything about Portland. And uh, having the opportunity to not only go to the Adidas store, go to Nike headquarters. So that's one of my favorite places. Even now, I was just in Portland a few days ago. Um, going to the Nike store to, to meet with a few people, and, and, and now I'm back here in California. See, what you got to do, Corey, is that you got to pass the word around the league for us so that we can start getting some of those big-name free agents <laughs> to come up here to Rip City. You, you know what? And, and it's amazing to me that it's not as many free agents to come there. And I think with the ownership there and the, and the quality people that they have there, um, it's, it's unbelievable. And Paul Allen has done a great job with, you know, whatever those players need at their practice facility, he gets it done for them. It's one of one of the best facilities that I've seen in this league. Um, you know, I'm I'm gonna definitely pass the word around. But you know, guys, anyone on the radio that knows players, Portland is definitely a place you want to come to. You know, considering during the season, there's not a whole lot of time that you spend at home. There's not a whole lot of time that you spend out in the city doing things. And, you know, today players will live in one city and and play in another city. So the actual city itself, the weather, all of those things, how much does that really play into a player's minds when they're determining where they want to go? Or is it the, obviously the money, but the the teammates, all of those things? Well, I think it's a combination of all, right? You you know, of course, players that want to play somewhere where it's, it's great weather. Uh, you want to play a uh, play in a city where you have great players. Uh, you want to play in a city where uh, the fans appreciate you. You want to play in a city that you know that the money is is there for you, far as from a financial standpoint. Uh, but also, I just think guys now they they want to win. Um, they want to try to build uh, their legacy somewhere. And and I know uh, Dame is one of the guys that he wanted to be in Portland mm-hmm. the remainder of his career. And I think far as you know, the Portland fans respect that, you know, you know, in Portland, these are diehard fans and they want, you know, their Portland trailblazers to give. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals from courses to help you attain or retain certification to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And I think for any other team, you know, you we want to bring in guys that want to be there and the fans, and it's, and it's been so hard because you have so many different movements. And, and you know, back in, in the 80s and 90s, if a player played for a team, they're there for 10-plus years, right? Now you don't have that, so you really don't have that connection with the players as much because there's so many movements. And when you have guys step to the plate first and say that they want to be there, that adds more value not only to the players in the organization but also to the fans. Hey, Corey, what's your take on the Blazers' brain trust with uh, Neil Olshay, who was in L.A. with the Clippers at one time, and their head coach, Terry Stotts? 
Well, one thing I would say about Neil O'Shea, what a great guy. Uh, I had the pleasure of knowing Neil O'Shea before he even got on the circuit of being, um, you know, a general manager. I remember him, you know, working out at Santa Monica Community College, uh, Santa Monica Gym, training guys, uh, even uh, with the great uh, guru, uh, Gerv, down at, at Gerv's camp. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he's done a tremendous job um, um, at, at trying to find his niche. I mean, he loves the game. And now he's in a position to help a team get over the hump. And I think one thing that, that Portland does a great job of is, and, and Neil and Terry Stiles, they develop talent. And uh, if you look through the track record, record of what Portland Trailblazers have had, they've had great talent that has been there, but it has great de- development. And so that starts with, with, with Neil O'Shea, Terry Stiles, uh, the scouting department that's put in a lot of work to evaluate the talent that's coming to, to Portland. Are you still ripped? I got to be honest, man. You've got one of the most incredible NBA bodies I've ever seen. It's just like, dang, bro, you're a beast. I I, I still I still work out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like I'm used to, but I still work out. Gosh, can I, you still play right now? I didn't hear you say what. Can you still play right now? Uh, not at the moment. I, I tore my Achilles trying to play, so I'm just healing back <laughs> up from, from Achilles surgery about four and a half months ago. Uh, but eventually, I would say in another three or four months, I'll be back on the court trying to play. Corey McGetty was with us here on the Rip City Drive, 14-year NBA vet. You can now see him on the Clippers broadcasts on Fox Sports LA. Corey, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it, and good luck with that recovery. Keep killing it, man. Man, thanks a lot, man. Thanks, guys. And one, one other thing I wanted to say, I had the pleasure of, of watching My- Myers Leonard this summer work extremely hard uh, to make sure his body was in order and and – you know, I mean, it's good to see the fruits of a labor of him training as hard as he can this summer to get put him in a position to get in that rotation. All right, so, Corey, you brought up a sore subject here in Portland with Myers Leonard. What is it a matter of confidence? Is it a matter of gaining the trust of his coach? What does he need to get things going? I think it's a little bit of both, and I think for him, man, first you need to be healthy, right, to be on the floor. Yeah. I know uh, that's, that's, that's been in, is, issues over the past. But, again, having the confidence on the floor, that means it starts with the coach. The coach have confidence in you. That means you're going to play more minutes. If you have confidence in yourself, even when you have those setback games, you're going to be able to bounce back uh, even better. And I think it's a combination. I think if My- Myers continues to have that uh, and continue to work and train, like I've seen him this summer, train to make sure his body was in order, uh, he would be one of those key guys because when you're at seven feet, uh, and you can stretch the floor and shoot threes, you add a whole dimension to the game. Now you take the defenders away from the paint, and you give CJ, you give Evan Turner, you give Dame these driving lines to the to the basket to score easy buckets. So that relies on him being that, that constant uh, uh, professional on the floor, but also being consistent and healthy. Corey, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to seeing you tonight at the arena. No problem, guys. Take care. I tell you what, Chad, he is on the ball, man. He's terrific. But he went out of his way to tell us about Myers Leonard. We've heard it from Dwight. Dwight has been the biggest supporter of Myers Leonard of anybody. Well, really, he just echoed, I think, exactly the point that you made about Myers. I, 
when I would say things like um, he's got no chance, he's done, you think that it's more about just being in a different place, a fresh start in yeah. a different environment. I, I do think it's that. Myers Leonard is a talented basketball player. The I, I see you laughing over there. But there. There is no question that he has talent. The problem is it is never translated to the NBA floor. We've seen some flashes here and there, but it's never been consistent. And I, I contend that Myers Leonard, if he was confident, he would be a significant player on this team. But his lack of confidence completely drags his game down, and he's never been a significant, important player on this team. The talent is there. The ability is there. The 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 work ethic is he works hard he just hasn't been able to translate that onto the floor because i don't think he believes in himself well the problem is you can't separate the mind from the body right right they're all one so if you're lost in your mind and you're mentally a disaster it doesn't matter if you've got talent or if you've got the physical exactly. tools or not you're exactly right about that it doesn't matter if you're the most talented guy in the world greg odin was an incredibly talented guy but he was hurt all the time, so it didn't matter how talented he was. Myers Leonard is very talented, but his confidence is so low. You think he's very talented? I do think he's talented. He has the ability, and when he has played but well— But how can you say that when we haven't seen that on the floor yet? I think that there has been a flash here or a flash there, but I look at someone who is so obviously not confident— and that's what completely kills his game. He is talented in college. He was a really good college player. Uh, all of his teammates talk about how, how they're waiting for him to break out because the talent is there. But you watch him on the floor. And it's that extra second he takes to dribble the ball and look around before he shoots a three. And he puts so much pressure on himself that he is his own worst enemy. And he can't get it done. And he's never been able to get it done now six years into the league. And his play on the floor does not match his ability. Yeah, I just don't see it. I definitely agree with you. I don't think he has confidence. And I know Terry Stotts, like I've said time and time again, he'd rather run his head through this brick wall behind me than he would play Myers. Yeah. But, no, I don't see the talent there. But I just honestly, don't see Chad, anything. It doesn't matter if you see his talent level. It doesn't matter if I do see his talent level. What matters is that he's not producing when he's in the game. That's what matters. It doesn't matter how talented he is. What matters is his production level, and it hasn't been there. Yeah, $11 million is a lot to pay for a guy that mentally is checked out. Yeah, I'm not trying to advocate that Myers Leonard deserves more playing time. I'm not trying to advocate that Myers Leonard is a great NBA player and has been getting a raw deal. It's his own fault. I'm saying he's a very talented guy who has lost his place in the NBA because his confidence is so low. Yeah, and I'm just making the argument that he's never going to amount to anything in the NBA. You might very well be right, and I don't know that his confidence level will ever allow him to, whether he's here or anywhere else. But one thing we do know is that at times on the floor, Myers Leonard is a tough guy. And tonight, against a Clippers team that has really out this Blazers team, you need that. And I gave him props the other night. He got limited minutes against the Pelicans, Trav, and he made a contribution. He made a contribution when he was called upon and you know what? That's a start. When you're called upon, go in there and do your job. And I thought he did a good job yeah. in limited minutes against the Pelicans. So tonight with Nurk and Swanigan and uh, Ed Davis, why does that physicality matter? It matters because the Clippers have physically beat up on the Blazers over the last couple of years. They hammered them last year in three games. They've got to be better this year. 
The Clippers have a strong front line with Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. They're going to attack in the Blazers now with Nurk, with Swanigan, with Ed Davis. They're better set up to deal with the Clippers, and they've got to rise to the occasion. The Clippers, for the most part, embarrassed them last year. That's got to change tonight because I can tell you what, you've got the battle in the middle with Griffin and Jordan, but you've also got Patrick Beverly going up against yeah. Dame. Guys have got to rise to the occasion and be ready for a physical battle from the start tonight. I expect the Blazers to do that and execute better, and Yusuf Nurkic cannot get into early foul trouble because he's going to be critical tonight dealing with DeAndre Jordan, who is just rebounding like a madman right yeah, now. Yeah, I know that really frustrated you the other night. 3,006 minutes for Nurk. That, yeah. that can't happen. No, it's like you're on the floor for 20 minutes, Nurk. You can't help your team in that situation. You're, we're five games into the season now. This is game five. You, you, you better be in the flow. The first game or two, okay, I can understand maybe getting off to a slow start, but we're in game five now. There's no more excuses. You got to be ready. You got to be ready. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at the must-see college football games this week. You've got the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad and your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. The Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Maybe send the briefcase. Look on the... Oh, yeah! It's right here. Samsonite. I was way off. I knew it started with an S, though. Now, back to the show with Travis and Chad on Rip City Radio. Hall of Famer Oscar Robertson is going to join the show at 417. The first guy in the history of the game to average a triple-double for an entire season. Travis, big weekend in college football, and we have narrowed yeah. the list this weekend to the must-see games in college football, three of them. And we do this each and every week, and we'll start with this game here, the biggest game of the weekend. All of these games kick off at 1230. This one here is going to be on Fox. It is Penn State at Ohio State. Yeah, what are you going to be doing at 1230 on Saturday, Chad? Watching this game. Yeah. There could be three games that I'm flipping back and forth between, and this is the leader in the clubhouse as to which is the best one because not only is this the, the game with the two best teams, it's also the most important game in terms of the national championship picture. If Penn State wins, they are sitting pretty. They've got one more tough game this year in the regular season, the following week on the road against Michigan State, and then they'll have likely Wisconsin, who needs one more win to clinch a spot in the conference championship game. And then you've got Penn State, who has, of the teams that have losses, it's, I don't want to say it's excusable because you got blown out, but you lost to the, basically the best team out of all the teams who have one loss. And now Ohio State, right back where they always are, sitting in the national championship picture. And what we're seeing now from Ohio State, they look really, really good. They're looking a lot like the 2014 team that won the national championship that stubbed their toe early in the year, and everybody wrote them off of what happened this year. They stubbed their toe early in the year. Most people wrote them off because, well, you've got Michigan. You've got Penn State. Ohio State's going to lose another game somewhere. And here they are again in the same position. So for Penn State, this running game is phenomenal. Saquon Barkley is the leader in every uh, odds makers poll to win the Heisman Trophy for very good reason. I thought before the year he was the best player in college football, and he's certainly showing that. But it's not just Saquon Barkley. You've got a quarterback in Trace McSorley who is one of the best in the country, and it's partially because the defense has spent so much time focusing on what Barkley does that you've got to something has to give at some point. And that tends to be the passing defense for other teams against Penn State. But they completely embarrassed Michigan last week. If this was at Penn State, I would easily pick Penn State to win this game by 10-plus points. But Penn State's 
defense in the secondary is where they have the biggest strength right now. We're used to seeing it be the linebackers in the front seven. The problem is the linebackers in the front seven are the weakest part of their defense, not by a lot. And if you're Ohio State, where you're going to win this football game is running the ball, your quarterback, JT Barrett, running the ball, the run-pass options, showing some different looks to that Penn State front seven and trying to get some gaps and get to that second level offensively. And I think they will have some success doing that, but I just don't think even Penn, even Ohio State's defense, with as good as they are in the front seven, are going to be able to stop this really well-balanced offense. I think Penn State wins a very, very close football game in the neighborhood of 31-30, something like that. All right, next up. North Carolina State at Notre Dame on NBC. Again, you've got two teams that still have a legitimate chance to play for a national championship. Early in the season, I didn't give Notre Dame enough credit. I really didn't because I didn't think their quarterback position was good enough. And Brandon Wimbush has been pretty good this year. But it hasn't been about Brandon Wimbush. It's been about Josh Adams, who is now a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate for the Notre Dame run game. He was very, very good last week, 191 yards against USC. He has been so, so good. But you saw what Georgia and Michigan State both did. They were able to stop the run a little bit. And what NC State can do, they're not a great pass defense, but they are a very good run defense. So if NC State is going to have a chance, they've got to stop the run game. NC State still has a chance. Their only game that they have lost this season was week one by seven points to South Carolina. And they've won every single game since. They still have some big games later on this season, and they have a chance. They still play Miami. So for Notre Dame, who is about a touchdown favorite in this game, can you control the clock and can you wear down NC State's defense by pounding it and pounding it and pounding it and then using play action to get a big play downfield? And I think they can. This is going to be a very, very tough game. I like this to be more of a defensive low-scoring game, but I like Notre Dame to win this one 27-20. And NC State, not just Miami, they've still got Clemson on the yep, schedule too. They do. I mean, they, they have a very tough schedule. If either one of these teams win out, they're going to uh, validate their spot in the national championship game, Chad. I think Notre Dame, even with a more difficult schedule, has a better chance of doing that. And I don't even know if they have a great chance of doing that themselves. But after this elimination game, Notre Dame is going to be the one that's still standing. We're taking a look at the must-see games this Saturday in college football. Finally, I wouldn't have thought this at the beginning of the year, but ESPN2, you got TCU at Iowa State. Both teams ranked, yeah. obviously, TCU undefeated. Yeah, and, and look, Iowa State has had some very big wins. Unfortunately for you, that game against the Sooners, they went into Norman and they won that game. And then last week, they beat up on Texas Tech, who is a good football team. Texas Tech played Oklahoma State very tight until the, the closing minutes of that game. Iowa State has turned out to be pretty good. The, the issues that they have have been offensively. Their defense has been very, very good this year. But what's the quarterback situation look like? Quarterback Joel Lanning for Iowa State, uh, he missed that game against Oklahoma. I don't think he's good enough. And I don't think his receivers are good enough to consistently win big games. And I've heard this, that eventually this Iowa State passing game is going to click. I just, I don't see it. I don't see that happening. Their offensive line is not very good. And, and when your offensive line isn't good and your quarterback and your receivers aren't great, eventually, even though you're ranked and even though you've won some big games, eventually 
it's going to catch up to you. And I think it is going to catch up to Iowa State in this football game. TCU's defense hasn't been as good since the Oklahoma State game as they were in that game. The problem is Iowa State just can't score consistently. And if TCU puts up a couple of big plays and gets up early in this football game, I really don't see any way that Iowa State is going to compete. And, and Vegas thinks so too. Iowa State is a, or a Texas TCU is a 23-point favorite, and for good reason. They clearly have the better offense. I think the defenses are awash at this point, but I just don't see Iowa State, even at home, getting their offense on track enough to compete in this football game. Well, I tell you what, if you've got nothing going on on Saturday, 1230 is the time. These are the games here, Trav, at 1230. Penn State at Ohio State, Georgia at Florida, TCU at Iowa State, NC State at Notre Dame, UCLA at Washington, Michigan State at Northwestern. It's a pretty darn good lineup. man. That's crazy. And you've got the 9 a.m. game if you want to whet your appetite a little bit earlier. Number 11, Oklahoma State at number 22, West Virginia, 9 a.m. on ABC. I mean, Mason Rudolph has been phenomenal. Will Greer is the most underrated quarterback in college football. The over-under in this game is 73. If you like offense and you want to wake up with some fireworks, that's the way to do it. It's going to get good. Oklahoma, Texas Tech at 5 o'clock on Saturday. And this starts an important stretch for the Sooners. Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, TCU. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And you, you want to call it Elimination Saturday. Well, NC State and Notre Dame, one of those will be eliminated. Uh, Penn State, Ohio State, somebody might be eliminated. And then Clemson, Kelly Bryant's coming back this week, or he's supposed to. They're playing a really good Georgia Tech team. So if Clemson loses that football game, they'll be knocked out. The national championship picture on Monday is going to look a whole lot clearer than it does right now. Love it. Absolutely love it. Oh, by the way, who do you like in the Pac-12 South? I still like USC. To win the South? Yeah, I still do. And what about the North? Washington. Yeah, definitely Washington. Over Stanford? Yes. Even though Stanford hosts them at the end of the year? Yeah. I think Stanford's going to lose another game somewhere, and Washington doesn't lose more than one more game. How many yards does the tailback go tonight against Oregon State? Is he playing? I mean, that, that's the question. Uh, what I read earlier today is that Bryce Love... It's going to be a game-time decision, a, Yeah, a game-time decision. So I don't know if he, play, if he plays, how much is he going to play? Is he going to play two quarters? Yeah, he, he'll rush for 175 and three touchdowns if he plays a half. That's if he plays. But if I'm, if I'm David Shaw, I sit him. Let him get another game rest. We're going to talk to Hall of Famer and one of the all-time greats. Oscar Robinson will join the show at 417. Warm-up with the Trailblazers and Clippers starts at 5. And up next, the significance of last night's Game 2 of the World Series. How is that game going to be remembered 10, 15, 20 years from now? Travis is going to tell us. It's the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad here on your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. It's time, it's time for the Rip City Drive. Rip City the Rip City Radio. Drive with Travis Demers and Chad Dewing on your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. It's a Blazers game day warm-up. We'll start with me at 5. Clippers are in town tonight. Game tips off at 7 in 16 minutes, we're going to be joined by Hall of Famer Oscar Robertson here on the Rip City Drive. But, Travis, you brought up a good point earlier today. You know, the 1988 World Series, last time the Dodgers were in. Yeah. When you think of Game 1 or that series in general, the one thing, the one image that will come to mind 
is that home run by Kirk Gibson. Yep. And rightfully so. It was a legendary moment, the best home run I've ever seen with my own eyes. But game two last night, extra innings. Astros get the win 7-6 to six over the Dodgers. How is that game going to be remembered 10, 15, 20, 25 years from now? You know, it's funny. A lot of people have asked me that question today, and I've watched every World Series game for the last 30 years. Um, maybe every pitch. Maybe, maybe I missed a couple of pitches here and there. But I think about the best World Series games that I've ever seen, and obviously... Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 88 game one pops into my mind, but I was seven years old, and I don't remember the whole game. I really don't remember watching much about it. What I remember is Kirk Gibson's home run, and I couldn't tell you if the rest of the game was a really good game. I remember the best World Series games that I've ever seen. And when I asked you the question, the first one you mentioned to me was 1991 Game 7 between the Braves and the Twins. It was a scoreless game going into the 10th inning, and Gene Larkin had a base hit to left field that drove in Dan Gladden to win the game. Jack Morris went 10 scoreless innings in that game. John Smoltz went 9 scoreless innings. And people don't remember that the Braves should have won that game in 9 innings, but Lonnie Smith... Uh, misread a play in the outfield and held up coming around third when he probably would have scored. That was an unbelievable game. I think of game six in 2011 between the Cardinals and Rangers. I think of three of the different games in the 2001, uh, 2001 World Series. There are a lot of different games that you think of. The Mets-Royals game a couple of years ago that went extra innings. Just phenomenal, phenomenal baseball games. But last night was different because it was easy for me to stay at my attention completely on that baseball game. But people who weren't big baseball fans were watching that game and couldn't turn away because it was so compelling and so many crazy things happened. And the little things here and there, the ball that bounced off of Taylor's hat in center field and right to the left fielder, and that might have saved a run. You see how Puig freaking out because the ball bounced off of his glove into the stands for a ground rule double. The attempted pick play in extra innings that was thrown off of second base umpire Laz Diaz's leg. Uh, five home runs in extra innings, back and forth and back and forth. There were so many memorable things that happened in that game that would never happen in one game, let alone all of them happening in the same game. That That is going to be remembered as one of the most remarkable, craziest World Series games that there ever has been. It was so unpredictable. I think that's what I love so much about postseason baseball is that you get a game like that and you can't predict what's going to happen in a baseball game. Playoff baseball is phenomenal. And last night was a great example. That 
That's not the best game I've ever seen in the World Series. I'm going to go with that game 791 with the uh, Braves and Twins. But that's right up there because it was so wild with all the different events. I was convinced when Puig came up at the end of the game, I was convinced he was going to get hit a home run and tie the game with the way the ball was flying out. I was shocked when he didn't. I thought he was going to also. Just had that feeling, especially because he had one earlier in the game. And, and, and it's funny, you know, I, was, uh, I tweeted out actually before – uh, the home run in the 11th from Culbertson. Like, earlier in the game, this is what makes the National League so difficult. That was Cody Bellinger's spot in the lineup. But they had to do a double switch earlier in the game, and they took uh, Cody Bellinger out. And that would have been his spot. And I, I, I tweeted out that, well, they're really going to miss his power in that spot. And what did he do? Culbertson hits a home run. And then he's flying around the bases like he just won the game. And they, they were saying on the broadcast that, I don't think he knows that he didn't tie the game. I think he just thought that he tied the game, but he didn't. They were still losing by a run, and you saw his face in the dugout when he realized, oh, crap, I didn't tie the game. We're still losing. Uh, but just the the little things that happened, Rich Hill being taken out in the fourth inning, which I think was the right call because he, while he pitched well, he was getting hit hard. You just had some really, really good defense and some fortunate plays behind him that, if he stayed in for another inning or two, he would have got lit up. And I think Roberts made the right move by pulling him at that time. There were just so many little things in that game that made it so compelling. And, and your point, that it was unpredictable. Five home runs were hit. And the ball that Correa hit out that just kept carrying and carrying and carrying and carrying. And they were saying on the broadcast, you just got to get Altuve to third. Just get him to th No, he, he hit the ball out of the yard. And it just kept carrying. Five home runs were hit in the 10th and 11th inning last night. It was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen the ball fly out of that ballpark like that. I mean, the ball was, it was live last night. Well, it helped that it was like 97 degrees. You don't get that in the World Series. So what play? Is there a play from that game? Or that will that just be remembered as the wacky wild game two of the... Uh, 2017 World Series. I think it's going to be remembered as the, as the, the wild play. I mean, the, the one that stands out is the eventual game-winning two-run home run by Carlos Correa. But you had some some unhung, unsung heroes in that game. The uh, the Marwin Gonzalez home run, you know, earlier in the game. Uh, the the play that uh, the the slide from Logan Forsythe that tied the game on the base hit by Kike Hernandez. It was a great throw, and the slide that he made to get around McCann at home plate. I mean, that's one of the all-time great slides in Major League history. If that's the game-winning run, we're talking about that slide 20 years from now from Logan's Forsyth as one of the great slides in Major League Baseball history. I was thinking about that when after the replay in slow motion. I was thinking, how long has he had to practice and to work on those particular type of moments to be able to slide like that without even giving it a second thought? It was yeah. so... The execution was perfect. It was. And then you've got Kike Hernandez at second base with two outs in the bottom of the 10th inning. Yes. And the attempted pickoff play goes off of the umpire's leg. The way, Where that ball was going and with Hernandez's speed, he might have been able to score on that play. And if he does, the game's over and the Dodgers win on a stupid attempted pickoff at second base. I know you like the Dodgers in six. Yeah. You still feel the same? Yeah, I do. I mean, look, you, they were going to lose two games somewhere if they uh, if they won the game if they won the series in six. So now it's it's one one. They'll probably they'll lose at least one of the games in Houston. 
Uh, I don't know which one, but now you've got you Darvish pitching in game three against uh, Lance McCullers Jr. I give the edge to Darvish, who's been phenomenal in the postseason. And McCullers has been really good, too, and he pitched on short rest coming out of the bullpen in game seven against the Yankees. I don't know how rested he is at this point. I still give the edge to the Dodgers. I think they win game three, lose game four, and come back with Kershaw, win game five, and get game six at home. You're, I would consider you a baseball purist. You love the game of baseball. Absolutely. How much did you enjoy the fact that other people were non, you know, like uh, fringe fans were tuned in to that game last night? I thought night. it was really cool. I mean, look, I'm not going to be one of those guys like some soccer fans who gets mad at you if you don't like soccer. If you don't like baseball, fine. But it was really cool last night to just sit back and say, see, this is the kind of game that I love because everybody, no matter who you are, can enjoy it. He's the first player ever in the history of the NBA to average a triple-double for an entire season. Gold medalist and Hall of Famer. Oscar Robertson is going to join the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad coming up next. The Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Want to ring the bell? All right. Ding, ding. The Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad on Rip City Radio. Hall of Famer Oscar Robertson in just a moment, but Travis, fly away to the Bay. That's right. We've got your chance right now for you to win a trip for you and a friend to see the Blazers and Warriors on December 11th in Oakland. You'll have 15 minutes to call 503-248-0620, and you'll be entered into our drawing to win two tickets, hotel and airfare, thanks to our friends at Delta Airlines and Battery Exchange. If you have not signed up yet, you still have time. Go to RipCityRadio.com. Go to the contest page and sign up. We will be announcing a winner, 515, next Friday, November 3rd. Our next name is Mike Swift. Mike Swift, you've got 15 minutes to call 503-248-0620. Mike Swift, you've got 15 minutes to call 503-248-0620 to be entered into the drawing to see the Blazers and Warriors in Oakland on December 11th. It is 417 on the Rip City Drive. Our next guest is truly one of the greatest basketball players of all time. He was the first player in history to average a triple-double for an entire season in 14 professional seasons. He was a 12-time All-Star and 11-time member of the All-NBA team. It's our pleasure to welcome Hall of Famer, Olympic gold medalist, and NBA champion Oscar Robinson to the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Oscar, good afternoon. We appreciate your time. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Um, you were born in uh, Tennessee, and you grew up in Indianapolis. I read where you, you know, you grew up very poor. Your family couldn't afford a basketball, so you learned how to play the game by throwing tennis balls and rags bound with rubber bands into a peach basket. Is that how it went down? Well, it wasn't quite like into a peach basket, but, you know, I mean, no one had a basketball in those days. I, I was just starting to play, and, and then I'd go to the parks and play. That's where I learned how to play. And today you remain close to the uh, – um, community there in Indianapolis, but I wanted to ask you about your time. Um, you know, what it was like, you know, at Crispus Attucks High School. You won back to back Indiana State titles. You were the first all black team to do that. Uh, what was that experience like, Oscar? And, and did you understand the significance of it at that time? No, I did not understand the significance of it at that particular time. It just, we just grown like anyone else. We, I mean, even though we were African Americans. Uh, and there are certain things you couldn't do and, and could do in the city, but we we didn't feel we didn't feel a lot of things. We were so naive about 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 race relations and whatnot. It just a lot of things didn't affect us to, until much later when we got to be an adult and found out about what was really going on. 
We're talking with uh, one of the all-time greats, Oscar Robinson, here on the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Um, so what were those times like? Um, you know, you're going to college, you went to Cincinnati, and you've got to go on these road trips where you go into segregated communities. What were some of those challenges like? Well, it was interesting. I mean, here, here again, uh, I was born in the South, so I knew there were certain things you couldn't do as I grew up in and around uh, outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And you, so you know things, and your people tell you certain things. And our coaches protected us as much as they could. A lot of places we could not go to eat. Uh, we couldn't stay in certain hotels. And and uh, and other than being with the team, you, when you traveled, you traveled either on the back of the bus or, or somewhere else. Was it difficult to, to not want to push back and go to some of the places that you, you weren't allowed to go to and, and be in some places that you weren't supposed to be? Was it difficult to not push back and, and try and fight that? Not, not really, because you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, we, we had a certain, a certain style of life, and and we was I stayed in my neighborhood and had my own friends and went to school and went to church. So you you, you didn't you didn't really stray stray too far away from places where you knew that they didn't want black people. We're talking with the great Oscar Robinson here on the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. I wanted to ask you about a story. There's so many different questions to ask you, Oscar, with, with your experience, but. Um, is that story about Kelly Coleman true? Did he really come up to you and tell you he was going to drop 50 on you? Uh, he played at Kentucky. Uh, can you share that story with us? No, I think what he did, he was speaking to some, some reporters, and he told them that he, he was going to score 50 points in an All-Star game that I was involved in. That was the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star game. And you told him that talk is cheap. No, I didn't. I didn't actually. I just, I just didn't, know, didn't know who he was, you know. for I mean, where I'm from, you know, uh, for God's sake, he's going to score 50 points against you. He said, there's no way. Prove it to me. And so when I just went into the game, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I coached, I coached and have any, I was doing a lot of talking back and forth to players and whatnot going to court. As a matter of fact, if we'd have said anything to a player on the court, he would, he would we wouldn't have played for our coach. So that, that was out. I didn't, I didn't say anything to Kelly Coleman. I just lined up against him when he tossed the ball up. And that's, and that's where we started. Do you think it's funny, Oscar, in some ways, here we are 50, 60 years later in a lot of this stuff, and these stories have been told so many times that details have been changed and names have been changed and who said what to to, to who has been changed. When you, when you hear those, do you laugh a little bit? Well, it's interesting because I know people try to embellish them as they go along, and, and but a lot of things didn't happen, and some things did happen. But, no, I, I didn't I did not tell Kathy Coleman that you're not going to score 50 points tonight. I didn't do that. Well, Oscar, uh, you know, I, I'm amazed when I when I get a chance to see highlights of the way you played, uh, the way you handled the pick and roll, and the way that you were able to utilize your body and get position, especially the way you're able to use your butt, you know, and, and work against a defender. How much study did you do on body position when you were younger to be able to utilize that in the basketball court? Well, all I was played against players uh, in my neighborhood. It was some of great, great basketball players, and I just tried to watch them and, and do the things they did. And I grew up, I got some strength, and I just had the skills with handling the basketball because I played a lot, played all the time, actually. And so I just played, I actually learned how to play by playing against older and rougher players who were also great basketball players. Well, how did you learn? I mean, in terms of your style of play, because you know, we know about your stats, you were drafted by the Cincinnati Royals in your first five seasons, you averaged a triple double and you know, you, you were remarkable, but where did you learn that style of game where not only could you score, but how to get your teammates involved and have that all around game, which we've grown to love. Well, actually I started out in high school playing guard. So, so that's where I learned it from my coach. I coach felt that a guard was supposed to get everyone involved in the basketball game. 
And as you grow older, you get into college ball, you learn a lot of things. You learn who can score and who can't score. You, and we didn't have great basketball teams in Cincinnati, so and we all needed to help them work together. So that's just the way I played. I actually thought everyone was playing that way. Another thing, I, I didn't realize that I was getting any triple-doubles because I don't think they kept, kept a record of triple-doubles during those days at all. When you were drafted by the Royals in 1960, it was a territorial pick, and they haven't had that in the NBA since 1966. I don't think people quite understand what that was like, where there was one territorial pick every year and a local player went to a local NBA team to try and help generate interest. Jerry Lucas, another one going to Cincinnati a couple of years later. When when all of that went down and you ended up with the Royals in a place that you were familiar with, is that what you expected and what were your thoughts at the time? No, I didn't expect it, to be honest. Actually, the, the territorial pick came, came about because of Will Chamberlain out of Philadelphia. They had a Philadelphia basketball team then. Will was a, such a great, great, great star in high school. And he goes out to Kansas, so that's how they picked him. So, and I think what happened, what happened, what did happen actually, is that a lot of teams felt that this was this was not a very good uh, situation to be in because they didn't just because someone grew up in a certain town near a basketball team, they didn't have the right to pick them. Oscar, during your time at Cincinnati, Bob Cousy was your coach. He's the one that made the decision to trade you, and you ended up going to the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm still stunned by that decision. What? Why? Why did he decide to trade you? And what was that conversation like? What did he say to you? No, no. Actually, Bob came in. Uh, he had the he had the ability to uh, uh, to destroy the team because they wanted to move to Kansas City because Kansas City had a nineteen thousand seat arena. I do believe I'm not sure about how big it was, but it was much bigger than Cincinnati. And he was they, they were so so the owners were convinced that oh by moving to Kansas City. They could sell more hot dogs and beer or whatever they were selling at that particular time. And Kuzi came in with, with orders to, to run the team. Today in the NBA, it's, it's a global game. And people all over the world follow the NBA and follow the big stars of today. And it's been that way now really for the last 20, 25 years. But when you came into the league, there were a lot of small and medium-sized markets, whether it be Cincinnati or Rochester, Buffalo, Syracuse, what was it like playing in the NBA back then with, with the the popularity of the game not even close to what it was today? Was it was it difficult to to be part of a league that that wasn't as recognized and were you kind of fighting for that fanfare a little bit? No, it was not difficult actually because you had better competition because uh, when I first came to the league there were eight basketball teams, nothing on the West Coast. Yes, they did move to the West Coast in 1960, I believe. But you had, you had 18, so you had to play everybody 12 times around that number. So, so it was all competitive. You knew their plays, they knew yours. You know, it, it, and everything is analytical now, you know, about shot here means more than a shot there. You didn't have that then. You went out and played, and everyone competed. We're talking with uh, Hall of Famer Oscar Robertson here on the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Uh, to further that point, um, in the early 60s, you and Bill Russell, Casey Jones, and some others you guys went on an official trip for the U.S. State Department overseas. What was the oh, yeah. what, what was the purpose of that trip, Oscar? Was that to bring uh, recognition to the game, or, or were you doing different type of work for the government? What was the purpose? No, Red Auerbach was in charge of the team as the coach, of course, and uh, we went. This went on a State Department tour. Actually, when we went over to play, we we only meant to, meant to play maybe three or four games, but the games became so popular, we stayed over there and played almost like. 16 to 20 games. It was, 
it was it was it was quite a, it was quite an event. I mean, you know, real educational for me. Uh, I'd never been over that part of the country other than going to Rome for the 1960 Olympics. So it was great. I mean, we had a nice time. The people were very nice, and they saw great great basketball from the USA. You know, today's game, because of AAU basketball and players changing teams so frequently, it seems like everybody on the floor is buddy-buddy, and the the conflict isn't quite there the way it was in the 80s and in the 60s. When you're playing in those games with guys that you were were enemies with on the floor, was there any any tension? Was it difficult to get along with some of those guys that uh, uh, in the regular games were, were your opponents and they were hated on the other side? Well, I'm sure that, that from from time to time, a few little, little things came up where parents got a little tested with each other. But, you know, here again, you play basketball, uh, and, you know, if you're going to play a, a team 12 times, you, you better go out and try to play basketball instead of, try to, instead of getting into a fist fight. But, but, that, but, but today, you know, it's, it's totally different. You know, the rules have changed. You know, if you look at a guy who's sideways, or I saw a game last night where a kid was, they call a foul on him, he clapped his hands two or three times, and the official called a technical foul on him. You know, Oscar, you you, uh, you had a chance to get a gold medal in Rome in 1960 playing in the Olympics. And I, I remember you saying once that, you know, you're, you're over there with Jerry West and you're looking around at everything that's surrounding and you're like, wow, it's pretty amazing that somebody from Tennessee, you know, considering your, you know, where you came from, were able to to play for your country on that stage. What was that experience like? Tremendous experience. I mean, you had to be born in the right in the right year during those days because, it was when you got to be the Olympic year, if you were capable of, of making a team, you got to go. But it was great. It was a great experience. We went into, went into Rome. We traveled overseas from Lugano, Switzerland, across the Alps. It took us about on the train about 11 hours to get into Rome. Uh, got, in, got into Rome uh, late at night and played the next day at 8 o'clock in the morning. Did you get a chance to meet Muhammad Ali over there? First met Muhammad Ali in, in Rome. He was a light heavyweight. Uh, he and the Olympic Village was a lot different than it is today. I mean, anyone could walk through through the Olympic Village during those days. I mean, people were all over the place. I mean, from from the city and everywhere, people came from the military to come down to see the Olympics and whatnot. A lot different. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But Ali was something. Still talked a lot. Uh, uh, he, he was telling about how great he was, how nice he looked. <laughs> and, and, he had, and people followed him around like, 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 as you can imagine that. As an athlete and a competitor yourself, when, when you hear Muhammad Ali, just being Muhammad Ali and saying all the things you just mentioned, do, do you kind of roll your eyes a little bit at a guy who's that cocky? Or are you like, okay, I, I can believe this? 
No, I knew Ollie. I mean, I mean, Ollie, Ollie was a different type individual, and, and uh, maybe he did think he was the greatest because he went on to prove that because you know over the years that Ollie was the greatest spokesman for boxing you ever did see. A lot of those things Ollie was saying was to get the gate going. And not, Muhammad Ali made a lot of heavyweights a lot of money by, by boxing him and boxing other people. We're talking with Hall of Famer Oscar Robertson here on the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Um, you're the MVP that you won, you know, some 50 years ago. I th- I just think it's impressive that you were able to win an MVP during your time because that was that was the day and age of the big man. How, how did you? How were you able to get that done with so many great bigs in the game at that time? Very difficult because it, it, that, that's particularly true. What you're saying is that no no other one other than a big man because they were saying how important a big man was to the game of basketball. And guards, no matter what you did, you didn't have a shot at winning the MVP award at all. In 1962, when you finished with that, you averaged a triple-double, and, and Bill Russell wins the MVP, but Wilt Chamberlain averages 50 points a game and finishes second. Were, were you disappointed? What were your thoughts back then, considering you had such an incredible year, but there you were finishing third behind the two big men, Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain? Well, actually, I wasn't aware, aware of what I did, to be honest, because I said before, they didn't keep the stats like they do now. But I thought Wiltshire had won the MVP award that year, not Russell. How in the world does somebody average 50 points over the course of an entire NBA season? It was amazing. Is that the, the big guy was so dominant inside. And, and you know, and, and, and to be honest, you know, they cut the ball on Wilt. And a lot of other players who played with Wilt didn't, didn't, didn't achieve their greatness at all. But Wilt was a... Tremendous athlete, and I, th- I think by him winning, uh, 50, making, I'm sorry, by him scoring 50 points a game really helped the NBA because people wanted to see him play on television. In those days, you only had one game. That was every Sunday afternoon. Although now you have a game on two or three games a night, and you know some and some of these some of the games are really really not very uh, worth not re- worth watching to be honest. <laughs> hey Oscar, I heard you say once that you know. Uh, to go up and compete against the guys you did during your era, that it gives you some uh, sort of a badge of honor. How so? Well, because I, I think that if you play against people, you you got eight teams, uh, you got maybe oh, 80 guys on, on in, in the league, uh, and, and, and you know they're great players. You know during, during those days, it didn't matter. It didn't matter whether you were a great rebounder or a great defensive player. If you couldn't score, it was very difficult to play basketball. Now it's a lot different. You know, now, you know, you have a lot of great basketball players. And, uh, the rules have changed quite a bit. If you notice over the years, they changed rules to, to accommodate certain basketball players. <laughs> That's true. I, I, I mean, I, no, they really do. They are Jordan, and I guess after Kareem left, they had a rule about a uh, center had to leave the basket if his man went outside. He had to stay, go outside and guard his man. Years ago, Russell, Chamberlain, Nate Thurman, and Kareem, and if that man went outside, they stayed underneath the basket. Hmm. Who do you enjoy watching play today? I like several teams playing. You know, I like I like to see San Antonio, Cleveland, Golden State, uh, like like Memphis. I like to see them play. But it, it just it just that you get to a certain point. That a lot of games are not that competitive because of the, because of the, the nature of the play. And although the, the players that play well, they'll hit a three point shot. It makes them look great, and I think this is why you have a lot of people talk about talking about analytical basketball. And analytical ball is great, I guess. I guess in football and baseball as well. But unless you unless you can hit the ball or, or throw a ball or, or, or if you can score, unless you can score, it's not very analytical. 
Hey, Oscar, you know, the, you play during a time, and I don't think a lot of the younger NBA fans here in town understand this, but it was a little over 50 years ago that there was an all-star game in Boston, and you wanted to get your player rep, Larry Fleischer, at the time to represent you guys in meetings with owners. Can you tell us about the standoff that went down that day before the all-star game? Yes, I can. We were notified by Larry Fleischer that the owners would not recognize him as being our executive director. So we got both teams in the locker room in the All-Star game, which was held in Boston, and went over the situation and said, you know, we were told that he would be able to do that with Larry Fleischer, I'd say, as our, as our executive director. Then, then right before the game, we were said, hey, they backed out. They, they went back on their word. So we said, well, okay, if that's the case, we're not going to play the game. And, you know, as a matter of fact, that was the first All-Star game on television. So it was very, it was very important to the owners. Uh, we didn't know about, about the TV until a little later, but the owners had, had made a, a deal with the television studio uh, networks until therefore we had to play the game. I mean, you know, I mean, for them not to say, them to say that we cannot have a, our representative to represent us was terrible. In general, back then, just how much tension was there? The, the, the stories in Major League Baseball with free agency, Kurt Flood, um, you know, uh, Don Drysdale, th- those are very well-publicized stories, but you don't hear as much of that with the NBA. How much tension was there back in the day regarding all of those things, free agency, compensation, revenue split, all of it? Well, it's very difficult because if you were a player rep back in the days when I played, if you were not a, of a star-type quality, they'd get rid of you. And, and uh, there was, what, very, very little meal money, uh, you, you flew on the first plane going because you didn't want to take a chance on missing a game. And y'all, everybody flew coaches in, initially. But now I guess you can see the situation. Everyone has a private plane, and, and they all stay in suites, and they get maybe, I don't know, what, 100 and some dollars, maybe more for meal money. It's all, it's all changed. It not only that, every team has a, has a trainer, and at every basketball game you got to have a special doctor there in case – in case something happens to you, you get a broken leg or arm or knee or something. Yeah, because Oscar, you, you wrote once that you, you just hoped that someday you would have a contract where you would get paid if you got hurt. I, I can't believe it. You were taping your own ankles. Teams didn't want to send trainers or doctors on the road trips, and you guys were staying in second-class hotels. That I mean, that that's so foreign to what we see in the NBA today. It is. It's the way that the game has changed. Uh, right now, you know, you see players making a lot of money, and and you know, if, if they get, if they now they're getting to a point now where if a guy wants to miss a game, it's it's a, it's a stiff penalty. But but no no one missed games years ago because of the, the competitive nature that that was, that was in every basketball player. But it's changed to the point now. It's, it's changed so much that the league is, has a, has a difficult problem. The game was was so popular years ago. I started in the '60s and up to the day now. Now they're trying, to, they're trying to keep it going, and fans have gotten so used to players playing now. They're looking for other things to do. Now I think, I think at the All-Star game, they're going to change the way they pick the All-Star players now. When you see guys sitting to rest or taking a night off and the NBA has to step in and change the rules because they don't want players sitting on nights that could be on national TV, what do you think? Well, they've done it before. I mean, I know, I know that uh, San Antonio did this uh, quite a few times with some of their players when they knew they had, they had to leave, uh, their, their, their league one uh, as far as, a, I guess, a conference. And, you know, the people, people think that they have a right 
to see LeBron play if he doesn't want to play. If, if he wants to sit out and rest, you know, so, so be it. But this is what, what you have today because you might not play that team but once, once away and once at home, and people want to see him play. But this is where it has evolved to a point now where if you're 10 up, if you're 10 up and you know you got your conference won, watch it you risk your players. Play some of the guys who never get to play very much. But now this, that's, it's all changing now, I believe. We're talking with Hall of Famer Oscar Robinson here on the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. You know, one of the issues we have here in Portland, and this is a great basketball community, Oscar, but the problem is small market that's tucked up in the Northwest. And, you know, it's, it's hard to convince free agents to come to this town to play basketball. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, the big markets, the small markets, and what teams can do, teams like Portland, to be able to compete with the Golden States and the, the other big market teams in the uh, NBA? It's going to be very, very difficult to do that because uh, I was in the same situation. Uh, I came to Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati, <laughs> no one, I don't know. I guess a lot of people in America never came to Cincinnati. Uh, the, big, the, big, the big items were, they were Boston, New York. Uh, Chicago had a team initially. They still have a team. They had a team. I think they might have moved someplace. But anyway, it got a team back and also to the West Coast. So this is true, you know. I mean, <clears throat> But what happens, you know, everyone in small cities tell you, well, we can't afford to pay you what, what a Curry makes down at, down at San Francisco. Well, then, then, then don't compete. Don't buy a team then. Because, <laughs> well, the, the reason I said that is because even though they still tell you that they can't pay you, but they want you to perform. And, and if, if, if you're a, 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 a top player, you want to get top money. But, but in those days, they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to do it at all. And I was – I was a victim of that, I must tell you. Oscar, the uh, Portland Trailblazers were founded towards the latter part of your career, the last three or four years. What were your impressions when you played here in Portland of the city, the fans, the old Memorial Coliseum? What what stands out to you about the games that you played here? Well, you know, it's a nice city. I mean, we, we, you know, we just went in night night before, day of, played the game and left the next morning. Uh, I, I, think, I think that uh, – Walton was drafted by Portland to begin with, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yes, yes, he was. So, so that helped quite a bit. But Walton was not the player when he first came into the league that he that he involved involved into, because you know he I guess he was a uh, he didn't eat meat or anything. So he, he, <laughs> he, he I guess he was about seven foot and weighed like 210 pounds. So that's not that's not going to get it done if you're playing center. During those days, because some of those centers were big and rough and strong as could be. Hey, Oscar, who do you think is the better small forward, Larry Bird or LeBron James? I, 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 don't, I don't, I don't. Well, LeBron plays all over. I, I think that if LeBron played Larry Bird, he'd beat him in a one-on-one game. You always said that you admired Elgin Baylor. What was it about his game that you liked so much? Well, you know, it's really amazing to me how how how, how Elgin has has. Slipped through, slipped through the devices of, of, of players telling you what a great player he was. And I don't know why, I don't know the reason for that, but, but Elgin Baylor was terrific. I mean, Elgin Baylor, I, when he went to the Lakers from Minneapolis, they moved from Minneapolis to, the, to Los Angeles, I think he saved them. I mean, he was the king king out there. And boy, really, really got a great fan base. But, you know, I, you know, I, I don't think people who today uh, realize what, what history means to them and whatnot. A lot of them didn't, didn't see Elgin play, but, but for them to say that, uh, oh, this guy's better than Elgin Baylor, there's no way of proving that. I mean, I saw Elgin Baylor play, and I see some of the guys playing now, 
And I think Elgin Baylor was a much, much better forward. Hey, Elgin, can you tell us about the honor you received from the Children's Museum of Indianapolis? Oh, goodness. I'm, well, I'm one of the fortunate players to, to, that's going to have a statue made there. They got, they got a tremendous complex there, and they're going to they're gonna talk about the uh, athletes who, who, made a, who contributed a lot to, to, to society, not only on the court, but off the court as well. Well, I think that's wonderful because you've put a lot of work and time and resources into that community there where you grew up in Indianapolis. So I think that's terrific. I, I wanted to leave you with this, and we appreciate you being so gracious. But I, Chuck Daly was always one of my favorite coaches. But he once said this, that if Oscar Robertson and Michael Jordan played at the same time, there would be a great debate on who was the best ever. What's your reaction to that? Well, probably would have been. Michael Jordan was a tremendous basketball player. And I think what helped, really helped Michael Jordan, they put Scotty Tipton in the backcourt and let Jordan play forward. Uh, Jordan finished plays. Scotty Scotty Pippen started plays. Uh, I, I, I I I I know myself that I, I didn't fear playing against anybody, but I never went into a basketball game with a, with a, with a uh, talking about how I'm going to do against certain players. I went out there as a team player, trying to figure out what my team could do to win the game. Were you surprised that Russell Westbrook was able to go the full season and average a triple double? What was your reaction to that and the way he handled his business? No, I wasn't surprised after seeing him play. I mean, I mean, times have changed. You know, you you don't you don't have you don't have dominant centers like Wilt Chamberlain, Russell, Nate Thurman, uh, Kareem, Willis Reed, Walt Bellamy, who's going to get you seventeen to twenty rebounds a game. You don't have that anymore. If a big guy can get two or three, four or five rebounds, they say it's great. He's a Hall of Famer, a gold medalist, and an NBA champion, and without question, one of the absolute best to have ever played the game. It's Oscar Robertson here on the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Oscar, uh, Travis and I really appreciate your time. Thank you for being so gracious, and I appreciate all the work you've done in the community. But just great to talk basketball with you, man. You're one of the greats. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling. I love it, Travis, that he, uh, when I asked him about, you know, the Chuck Daly quote about MJ and Oscar, if they play at the same time, that there'd be a, a good debate on who was the best ever. And he goes, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah there would be. Yeah, yeah, I'm as good as Michael Jordan. And that wasn't overconfidence. That's just no. a guy knowing that he is one of the all-time greats. Our lives are better for having that conversation. Well, Dwayne Wade apparently is going to head to the bench in Cleveland. I'll tell you who made that decision next. It's the Rip City Drive with Travis to Chad here in your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. Hey, it's Dan. And Nigel. From Rip City Mornings. Today on the show, Nigel and his mom bonded over baseball. Dame now loves Patrick Beverly. And CJ told us that in the NBA, a foul is a foul, unless it's not. Yeah, the NBA made that whole Bucks-Blazers ending as clear as mud. Tomorrow, we've got Lee Sterling and his expert picks, along with Clipper and Beaver games to talk about. We'll see you Friday at 6 a.m. Now, let's get back to your City Drive with Travis and Chad. I think I put the emphasis on the wrong words on that sentence. We've all thrown down a couple of bucks on a game, right? Uh, you know, win some, lose some. But Travis and Chad take it a step further. I got a Hawaii game. I'm not the but I'm a Hawaii game. It's time for the Degenerate Dime of the Day on the Rip City Drive. Brought to you by DPI Solar. Imagine if you never had to pay an electricity bill again. Visit dpisolar.com. All right, Chad, I've had a rough week after two awesome weeks back-to-back. Last night I took the Nuggets. That was a disaster against the Hornets. You had the Timberwolves. Didn't work out against Detroit. Listener Matthew took the Dodgers. Lost with the Astros. So we all lost last night. 
Yeah, I need a bounce-back game, so yep. I'm going to turn to my Portland Trailblazers tonight, minus 2.5 against the L.A. Clippers. I'm going to take the Ravens, minus 3 against the Jay Cutlerless Miami Dolphins. And uh, listener Matthew tonight, uh, what did he have? He's taking New Orleans at Sacramento. Boogie! Boogie going back to Sacktown. <laughs> awesome. He trashed on the town, the franchise, and now he's going back. That should be quite the spectacle. That's exactly what it'll be. It'll be a spectacle. What's more likely? He gets ejected or drops 40 and 20? Yes. <laughs> He'll get ejected after dropping 40 and 20. He's so good. He's such a clown, but what a good player he is. And they'll find a way to lose because that's exactly what would happen. That's New Orleans basketball for you. It really is. Dwayne Wade in Cleveland. Uh, he ousted J.R. Smith as the starting two guard on that team. And J.R. Smith was not very happy about that. But no. now... Everything's okay because J.R. Smith is the starter and Dwayne Wade is on the bench. Was it Dwayne Wade's call? Tyron Lue's call? Well, this is a mess. And right now, neither two guard, whether it's Dwayne Wade or J.R. Smith, are playing good basketball right now. But the three games, Travis, that Dwayne Wade played at two guard were the three worst games in his starting NBA career. The three worst. Not good basketball. And I like how this whole narrative, the story is being painted now that you know, Dwayne Wade is deciding to make this move to the bench because it's better for the team. Well, if you read between the lines, that's just flat out a lie. Yeah. It's poppycock. What I, what I think is going on here is this, and it ties into Kyrie Irving. First off, the, the Cavs went out and got D-Wade, and they brought him in. And, of course, we know that he and LeBron are great friends. Well, if I had to guess, after those three games, which I just said are the worst in his starting career, LeBron probably looked at Wade and was like, wow, this is not the same D. Wade that I played with in the first couple of years in Miami. He's old, he's washed up, and he's not the same guy. I still like him, but he can't play. And then he made the decision that, hey, we got to move him back to the bench and get J.R. Smith back in the starting lineup. Younger, better body, and he could be more active out there. I think that's exactly how it went down. But if you take it a step further, I would guess that these are the types of things as to why Kyrie Irving wanted out and is now with the Boston Celtics. And that's because the way the structure and everything is set up in Cleveland, LeBron James calls all the shots. Yes, he does. He decided who he wanted to be the head coach. It's Tyron Lue. LeBron gets to pick and choose the players he wants to work with. He's kind of set up the roster. He dictates minutes and who plays on the floor, who doesn't, the rotations, all of it. It's not Tyron Lue making the decisions. Tyron Lue won a championship, but he wouldn't have that job if it wasn't for LeBron. And that's what I truly believe. But I think Kyrie got tired of that. Travis looked around and he said, you know what? I don't want to be in this situation where LeBron gets all the attention, calls every single shot, and controls my situation and where I play and how many minutes I play and all of that to a certain degree. And so I think he wanted out. Or he looked at what LeBron had and said, you know what? I want that exact same thing. I yeah. want to be in a situation where I can dictate and have that type of power. I but, get it. Yeah, I but, get it. But when you, when, you, when you read the headline, it's like Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade's a proud player, right? He's a champion. He's one of the best. He's one of the all-time best, Trav. He really is, and so is but LeBron But do you James. think that he actually, because he's one of the all-time best, do you think D-Wade would actually go, yeah, I'm going to go no, to the bench? No, of course he didn't say that. He didn't say I mean, he's going to the bench. Somebody else decided that because he's not going to willingly give up his starting spot. And you know what? If LeBron James is the one who dictates all that stuff, I think it's worked out pretty well for him. He's been to eight straight finals. He won three of them. Yeah, I think if if anybody has the credibility to dictate some of those things, 
it's LeBron James and fine Kyrie. You don't want to have those things dictated to you. Well, wherever you go, somebody's in charge, whether it's the coach, the GM, LeBron. Um, you can go somewhere else, but you're not going to win. So good luck. <laughs> what a mess. All right, Blazers and Clippers coming up. Tip off at 7 here on Rip City Radio. I've got Trailblazers warm up for you next. Big challenge, big test. I'll tell you why. It's the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad here on your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 